I'll tell you, there's something about worship that prepares the heart, right? There's something about worship that focuses us in on who Jesus Christ is. You ever wonder about that? See, it's supposed to be that way. When we're confused, when we're torn, when we're not understanding what God is doing, when when your life is kind of going a little haywire, a little crazy, centered is our focus on worship. And when we do that, he starts to bring everything into alignment. That's, that's what I was feeling this morning as we were worshiping. And as a matter of fact, I had a video we were going to play, and it would have changed the whole atmosphere. And so we'll play it next week. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a little hint, because you're going to love this video. It's, it's a hilarious video. But when we have intent in going after God, even in your personal time, in your personal walk with Him, if you have intent to go hard after Him and worship is not part of your personal time, then you're missing the whole boat. You know, Revelation says that, that we as the bride, which are represented by the 24 elders, we as the bride will sing a new song before Him. In Revelation, we sing before the throne of God. Do you know it's no different Right now, what we were just doing right there, that was being lifted up to the throne of God. I think if we, if we would really understand that, if we would really understand in our personal time when we're worshiping the Lord, that we are literally catapulted before the throne of God, I think it would change our understanding about how powerful worship is. And I just want to encourage you to make that part of your personal time. As a matter of fact, make that part of your everyday walk. Worship is just so, so important. And, and even collectively as, as, a, as a church, there's nothing more powerful. What we do on Tuesday nights, everybody knows, we, we pray and we worship. And there are many times where the Lord will just tell us, continue worshiping. Just continue worshiping and lifting up his name, right? So what he does to prepare hearts is just amazing, amazing. So we have been going through this, um, this series and this series on putting on the armor of God. And uh, uh, we've been going through that now for about seven weeks. And today's the conclusion of that. But we've been doing it in a different perspective, as I've said before. This perspective is from an offensive perspective, not to offend, I don't mean that, but going on offense with the enemy. You know, there's a difference from being on offense versus being on defense. If you played sports at all, you know when you are defending, then oftentimes the momentum is with your aggressor. Okay, it's when you can turn that around and begin to go on offense that the momentum shifts. It's no different in our Christian lives, in our Christian walk, when we battle an enemy that just bombards us with stuff every day. You want to get to a point in understanding your authority in Jesus Christ to be able to literally change from defense to offense. Satan is so much better on his heels than he is with forward momentum. To us. Because he does not have the authority that you have if you are saved. If you have accepted Jesus Christ into your heart, you are given an authority of a king. Do you understand that? We're told in the word of God that we're kings and priests. Right? There were three people, effectively, or three people types in the word of God that are kings and priests. It's the bride, it's us, those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart. And then Jesus himself was a king and a priest. And then Melchizedek in the Old Testament, which is what's called a theophany. It was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. So we are kings and priests. 
We walk in authority when we accept him into our heart. We're given this authority because we're adopted, literally adopted, into his family. We're adopted by the Father. That gives us this immediate access to authority. And we've been talking about this in this series because just because we have access to this authority doesn't mean that we use it, right? Doesn't mean that we claim it. Doesn't mean that we understand it. As a matter of fact, I would say out of the entire bride of Christ, those who know Jesus Christ as Savior worldwide, I would say the vast majority, and I'm talking into the 97, 98 percentile, they don't understand their authority in Jesus Christ. And so because of that, they just get pummeled. They get pummeled every day, wondering, why do I have to deal with this over and over and over again? Why do I deal with this addiction? Why do I deal with this trouble? Why do I have to deal with this this just stupid stuff that sends me to discouragement or sends me into depression or even anger or whatever? See, we have an authority where we can literally shift from defense to offense. And by the way, that scares the enemy. I can tell you that. That scares him. Because his, his saving grace, if you will, is the fact that we don't understand our authority. Because when the bride does begin to understand their authority on a large scale, you're going to see shifts. You're going to see huge shifts in the atmosphere. You're going to see shifts in nations. And you're already seeing it because there is a remnant. There is a remnant that God is raising up to understand their authority, to understand that they're part of an army, an army that he's raising up to literally bring forth the will of God. You know, and we we stand when we we have a nightly prayer call. And when we go in this nightly prayer call, it's, it's not some complicated thing. We just go before the Lord and we say, Lord, we want your will. But we declare this before your throne. We declare it out loud. We declare it so the enemy hears it. We want your will. The will on earth as you've planned it in heaven. That's exactly what Jesus told the disciples to do when they asked him, how do we pray? How do we pray, Lord? He didn't pull out some hundred point bullet point outline on how to pray. It wasn't this, well, let's do a 12-week course and teach you how to pray. It wasn't about that. He said very simply, go before the Lord and agree with him. Just agree. Ask forgiveness. Show him that you have a contrite heart. Ask forgiveness for what you have done that would separate you in your relationship with him. And then just say, your will. Lord, your will. And this is what we do literally every night on this call. We ask for his will to be done as we pray for this nation. We pray for his will to be done. I'm not smart enough to figure out what should happen. I don't think any of us are smart enough to figure, well, it needs to be this or it needs to be that. As a matter of fact, most people, the vast majority of people, weren't smart enough to figure out that God wanted to put somebody in office that was going to shake things up. I couldn't have imagined that, except that he told me. So in that, why would I figure on, okay, it's supposed to be this way, so I'm going to pray for that. Okay, I'm supposed to have this in my life, so I'm going to pray for that, whether I know it's supposed to be in my life or not. Now, it's different if it's a promise from the Lord. See, I know the Lord promises me peace, joy, love, patience, all the fruits of the Spirit. If I'm walking in Him, those are promises. So I can pray for those things because they're promises direct out of the word of God. Lord, give me joy. Give me joy today. Give me peace. As I step in your will, give me peace. Give me love. Give me relationships where I can love and I can be loved. Right? Those things we can pray specific things for. But I think so many times we get caught up in our lives about praying for, well, God, you know, There's this possible promotion, and, you know, five of us are up for it, but Lord, I I just know you want me to have it, so I'm praying that you give me that promotion. Now, I'm not saying that it's bad to do that. I'm saying you want his will. 
You don't know if that's his will. What if his will, his very will, was for you to stay where you're at because he's about to introduce somebody into your life that he needs you to speak to about the Lord? See, we, we think in terms of success right here, right? We think in terms of, well, that's more money, and I can do so many more things with more money. I can tell you from personal experience that the more money does not mean more effectiveness. I've made less money in the last two years, I think, I'm pretty sure, than I've made my whole working, well, since I graduated college, maybe not when I was a kid, but I've made more less, two, or less the last two years than, than really I ever have in as, a, as an adult, but he has taken what I've made and he has made it more effective than it's ever been. How crazy is that? That's awesome because that's him doing it. That's not me doing it. So we just stand, Lord, I'm not smart enough to fully figure out your will that you have not told me yet. So I stand before you and I say, I want your will. I want your will. I want your timing. I want exactly what you want. I give you my yes. And I declare that before your throne. See, that does a couple things when we do that. One, it shuts the enemy up. See, when we give God our yes, the enemy who is the accuser of against us, in court against us, Revelation 12.10, he's there to accuse us day and night. When we say yes to the Lord and we don't put parameters on it, then the enemy hears that. And so what he is giving as false accusations can no longer hold water in God's court. When we say, Lord, your will... Your will. I'm not putting parameters on it. So, so this is the shift that we're talking about in putting on the armor of God. And, and like I've told you before, it, it, I, I don't even know exactly uh, uh, what they all were, but these are just the coolest pictures. We're going to go through these because you'll see the progression of awesomeness in these warriors, right? So, so the first one we did was just the battle getting ready. Click. Remember, this was our introduction into this, uh, um, into this series, and that it's not just about what we do, right? But it's coming together as the bride. It's coming together as a group of people, and ultimately, globally, a group of people believing in Jesus Christ, trusting what he's doing. So that kind of reminded me of Braveheart. I thought it would have been cool to have a Braveheart picture in there. But then, then the next one, we began putting on the armor of God, right? The next one was the belt of truth. That's the first piece of armor that we put on. Now keep in mind, we're talking about this in an offensive perspective, going after the enemy. If you are going and running into a battle, because God has called you into that battle. If you're running in there and you don't have your belt of truth on, then you're going to have a problem. Because back in Roman days, that's what literally girded, the Bible says, girded their loins. That it pulled the robe in to where it's not flopping everywhere. Right? That belt is what held your utensils. It would hold a dagger. It would hold, it would hold other things. Today, I mean, you look at a policeman's belt or you look at, you know, a, a, a infantryman's belt and it's like ridiculous. It, it just holds everything. The belt is what holds it all together. By the way, that belt of truth is not just the Word of God. It is you applying the Word of God. Right? The Word of God is truth all by itself. Whether you believe it or not, it is truth. It is God's spoken Word. It is truth. But it doesn't affect us until we apply it. Right? So we have to put it on. We have to understand it. We have to literally consume His Word. Wrap it around us. Right? That was the belt of truth. The next one we put on was the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness, I love that picture, it's so cool. That helmet probably weighs 80 pounds, but I think it, if you headbutted somebody with that, it would hurt, especially if it spiked them. 
But I love this one, too. He's looking through a cross, right? You see his eye slits in there and everything. And, and I'm pretty sure he's, like, on steroids or something. He's a big guy. Okay, but the breastplate of righteousness. We put on this righteousness. What is that? We put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, when we are saved, we are given righteousness before the Father. The Father no longer sees our sin. He looks through us through a Jesus filter. He sees us through the filter of Jesus Christ. That is his righteousness. We put on Jesus' righteousness. See, but it's different when you grow in Christ. It, it, that doesn't change, but there is an added por- part to righteousness that we have to put on. And that's what we're talking about in this series. In offense, you better be putting on righteousness that, that God works through you, through obedience. That's called purity. The Bible talks about it as walking in purity. When we're walking with Jesus Christ and we're walking with him in obedience and we, we keep a, a short understanding of our sin, whenever he brings something to our mind that, that he reveals to us his sin and we go before the Lord and we ask forgiveness and we ask him like in Psalm 91 to please reveal to me anything that I have done to offend you, as David said. When we do that, we keep a short leash of sin It produces this righteousness in our lives, okay? He literally produces righteousness because the the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ gets closer and closer and closer. It's still his righteousness that comes on us. By the way, if you live a clean life, okay, understand you can never get to a sinless point, Even if there's nothing in your mind that you can think of that you have done to offend him, the very presence of who we are is offensive to perfection. Do you understand that? Because we are born into sinful flesh. We can't shed that. No matter what we do, until we are gone from this life and we're given a glorified body, we have this sinful body in our life. So it may sound ridiculous, but I ask forgiveness for that. I know it wasn't my fault. I know it was Adam's fault, ultimately. But see, I received, as him being my ancestor, I received the very sin that he brought into this world. Does that make sense? So when we go before the Lord and we ask forgiveness, don't think you you don't have anything to ask forgiveness for. That's also why David said, please show me. Show me anything that I've done, any way that I've offended. And he will. So for us to walk in relationship with Jesus Christ, it is in pursuit of increasing that breastplate of righteousness. Walking in that purity. By the way, when we talked about that, we talked about literally it, it increases your authority. There are authorities that were given upon salvation, but authority doesn't stop there. And, and if, if you want to know more about that, go and listen to the podcast. Because we will literally be given rewards based on the authority achieved in this life. Revelation talks about that. Revelation 2 and 3. Thessalonians talks about that. Corinthians talks about that. Okay, so there's, there is an increased authority that we could go after, and that's all about the purity, which is that breastplate of righteousness. The next one then, the next one in the series that we talked about was, is the next one shoes? It is shoes, yes, there it is. All right, another cool picture. Except he has a really tiny head. I'm not sure how that came about. Uh, maybe he's mechanical, kind of like, kind of like in uh, uh, oh, I forgot the movie Iron Man, whatever it was, where they have the little metal head. Very cool, though. And this is shoes of peace. We have to put on the shoes of peace. What does that mean? That means when you are called to the battlefield, you better know that God's calling you to that. You have to have peace to know that he's calling you to that place. You have to have peace to know to step. Because when you step, 
knowing the peace that he has called you there, you can have confidence that he will be with you no matter what. See, that's what Moses had when he stepped into the Red Sea. He, the Red Sea hadn't parted yet until they stepped into it. When they stepped into it, he had peace to know, I'm going to step. And then when he stepped, the Lord, because he had called him to that and Moses was obedient, he parted it. Same with Joshua. When, when Joshua crossed over the Jordan to go to Jericho with the, with the children of Israel, same thing. He knew God had told him to do it, so he stepped and he walked. Right? He had these shoes of peace that literally guided him and led him. So it's important, if we're going to be on the battlefield, to know where we're supposed to be. You know, you, you look at, at, at war scenarios, and the commanders have different things going on in different places. Because there's an overall strategy. See, you're not just at war in and of yourself. You're part of a battle strategy. And so many times, that, so many times Christians don't understand that. They think that they're in their own personal war. And, and if we think that, then that's kind of where we stay. And, and we are in this personal war because we can't see beyond that. But you understand, you're part of an overall battle plan. God is raising up a remnant right now to be an overall strategy against the enemy. And if we don't take our place in that, it may not even be the place we want. Remember, your will, not my will. I want to know, Lord, where I will be the most effective for you. So I want your will. So when we take that place, we're part of an overall battle strategy. Where, where Jesus can look and he says, well, I have this person over here, I have this group over here, I have this group right here, and they all have different things that I need them to do because simultaneously it will have the greatest effect against the enemy. We don't have to know what all the other places are doing, what all the other groups are doing. It doesn't matter. We just need to know what God's calling us to. So the shoes of peace, knowing the direction we're supposed to go, accomplishes exactly that. Then the next one, I believe, is the shield of faith, correct? Okay, this was a cool picture. All right, this was the first one where, where the dude had wings, and I love that. They don't really notice them until you really look. But I don't know about you, if I met a warrior that looked like that on the battlefield, I, I would probably think twice. What do you think Satan thinks? What do you think Satan thinks when he looks at a Christian that has been prepared for battle and sent into battle by the general, by God the Father himself? I think he would look at that and say, yeah, I, I don't want to mess with that. But then he realized, okay, well, I, I have to be in the battle, so he'll, he'll send something else. <laughs> right? There is fear that goes into the enemy when we are clothed the way we're supposed to be clothed. When we're armored up the way we're supposed to be armored. And the shield of faith was the first piece of armor that was mobile. Right? You could move it around. The Bible says it's there to literally absorb the darts of the enemy, the fiery darts of the enemy, right? So, so when, when if, if he's coming over here and you move your shield over there, if you're going forward, you move your shield in the direction that you're moving. What does that mean? That means faith. If you're called to something and you know you're called to something and you have that peace to move, like we just said, because of those shoes, if you don't engage faith, then you're in trouble. If you don't engage faith, you're going to begin to step and think, what did I do? What, okay, something's wrong. Because this isn't what I expected. You know, I, I, I expected everything to be easy. Because you called me here, Lord. I expected it to be easy and smooth and all this stuff's happening. If you don't inject faith into that, it's going to bring on discouragement. 
It's going to bring on authority to the enemy to literally get those darts past you and right into the heart of who you are. So the faith is a really, really important part of this shield. The, the, the faith literally makes everything work. And it's that shield of faith. How strong is your shield? I know when Paul used this as an example, he used the Roman soldier as an example. They didn't have just little shields. I don't know if you ever, I, I mentioned Braveheart. It's one of my favorite movies. But you'd think they'd make bigger shields. You know, they had this little disc-looking thing, and it wasn't because it was Captain America. Right? It was just like a piece of wood, you know, this little thing. And the Romans figured it out. The, the shields that they carried literally were, were almost the size of their body. It was literally three-quarters the size of their body was a Roman shield. And, and see, it didn't just cover them. But they had ways when it was linked together with other soldiers that it became like this tank. Literally, I think I showed a picture of it. This tank that could move forward and knock away anything coming at it. Right? And this little battalion of maybe 25 guys are literally moving into the battlefield and nothing can hit them. The archers, which is the first line of, of defense, they can't do anything to them. Until they get in position, and then the archers that are in the middle of this little pack, you know, a little opening opens up, they shoot, comes back down. It's, it's fascinating, YouTube, it watch some of this stuff. It's, it's wild how they, the, the, the strategies of battle that they did. And this is what Paul understood when he was talking about this. So our faith is critical, not just to ourselves. Our faith is critical to the battalion we're a part of, to the local body that we're a part of. Your faith is critical to what we do here. Our faith as a church is critical to what God is doing in America or even globally. Even though we don't understand that because we're right here. We're, we're in a living room. How in the world's that? It's because when we go before the throne of God, we are at the throne of God. We're not in a living room. It doesn't matter if we're 40 or 50 people or if we're 100,000 people. We're in obedience to him. So you have to walk in this faith and understand and trust what he's doing in your life. The next one, and this, this was the last one, right? Was this last week, the, the sword? Oh, helmet, that's right. Yes. So the next one we put on is the helmet of salvation. And the, Oh, that's right. This was the coolest picture. And we, we talked about this uh, when, when it came on. You know, the one thing you look at this picture, if you really look intently, you notice he has no eye holes. He has no way to see. He literally is looking through the perspective of the cross. So when we put on our helmet of salvation... That's what gives us our authority, right? We're given an authority in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't stop there. If you look at the, uh, the helmet in the Roman soldiers, okay, they have different helmets. The guys who, I guess, were, you know, just the privates, they go in, you know, bottom level, they had this, this leather-looking thing. It kind of looked like a, a 1930s football helmet. Right? It's just a piece of leather. It's like, what in the world is that going to do for you? All right? But then as they go up in rank, apparently they go up in value because now all of a sudden they, they have a metal one. And then the officers, they have this plumage on top. You could tell their authority by their helmet. You could tell the placement in the army by their helmet. So when we put on the helmet of salvation, literally, we are putting on our authority in Jesus Christ. We're putting on the authority that he has given us, not just with salvation, but the authority that he's given us in our walk with him, in our relationship with him. That is how our, our authority is increased. Not, not because we go and work out or, or, or we learn a lot about the Bible or we, you know, we can answer ten questions. It, it, it's not that. It's when we seek him in relationship. 
When we seek Jesus Christ in relationship, he purifies our life. He goes this, through this process of purification. As we do that and as we walk in him, he increases our authority because literally what we're doing is taking him on. We become less of ourselves and we become more of him. More of him works through. That's what increases the authority. Not how good we are. It's how much we let him come through in our relationship with him. So putting on this helmet of salvation is understanding our authority in Jesus Christ. And then the last one, which was last week, is taking up the sword of the Spirit. And this was such a cool picture, too. I loved this picture. And, and you know, with the wings and everything else, and, and, again, a helmet that looks like it would just hurt if it hit you. But I, I loved his breastplate, too. I, I almost used this for the breastplate, but, but I thought the sword was really cool. So you have the sword of the Spirit, right? The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. But it's the use of the Word of God. And it's not doing it through, well, you know, Satan's attacking me, so let me just quote some verses at him and throw some verses at him. See, if those aren't real in our lives, if those don't have application in our lives, you don't think Satan knows the Bible? Sure he does. He knows the Bible. He understands the Bible. Okay, and to just throw a verse at him means nothing if you are not engaging your shield of faith. If you're not engaging faith in the word of God and literally believing that if I tell you to leave, you have to leave. See, when, when Peter said, Certainly, Lord, Jesus was just explaining to him, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be crucified on a cross, and three days later I'm going to be risen from the dead. And, and Peter's like, no, no, certainly, Lord, that would not happen. Certainly, Lord. What did Jesus say? Jesus recognized that wasn't Peter. Jesus recognized that was Satan, and he said, get thee behind me. He didn't say, look, you know, I, I, just, I need you to get behind me. I, I can't deal with this right now. He didn't say that. He understood his authority. He understood his authority and he said, get out. Leave me alone. You are not to be here. And when you quote scripture that has faith behind the scripture, it is a sword going deep into the enemy's chest. There's power in that. By the way, that is the offensive weapon that God gives us. It's not our own intellect. It's not our own figuring out, well, well, I think that, that if I do this and I go around here, I, I, can, I, can, I can kind of defeat the enemy this way and this way. We can think till we're blue in the face on how we should do something if we would just listen and we would just let him do it through us, we would see the right way immediately. It's those shoes of peace. But then you take that sword, understanding the word of God. By the way, not just the knowledge of the word. Because there are many people that understand what the word says. That can quote the word. That knows, well, it says this and that. And, and they could even believe it. And not understand the power of it. And I, I can tell you that for a fact because that's how I was for 40 years. Understanding the word of God and yet not understanding the power of the word of God. You cannot understand the power without engaging that faith. That faith in truly believing that his word is his word. His word holds power over the enemy. So we, we take that sword and we use it against the enemy. Now, when you use that sword as offense, that's different than when you're backing up and you're just kind of doing this thing. You're backing up trying to fight the enemy. When you are trained in how to use the sword, have you ever seen a good sword fight on TV? Right? I love, uh, what was that? Stink. Can't remember the name of it. Um, 
Princess Bride. Remember that? Everybody remember that? I love that. They're just going at it, going at it, going at it. And he says, he says, why are you smiling? And he said, because I know something you don't know. He said, what's that? I am left-handed, unlike you, I am left-handed and can fight with both hands or whatever. Switch hands and all of a sudden he's going. And then the other guy says, ah, me too, whatever. And it, but it was awesome sword fights. Awesome sword fights. Can you imagine if one of them didn't know how to fight? It'd be pretty quick. Done. Right? So we have to understand the enemy knows how to fight. He knows how to fight. He knows the buttons to press on you. He knows how to irritate you. He knows how to frustrate you. He knows how to put you into fear. Why? Because he's studied you your whole life. He's studied you. He's watched you your whole life. He understands those buttons. He knows how to wield his sword. So if we don't learn how to wield our sword, we can't engage. Even defensively, we can't engage. Let alone go on the offense that we're called to. But boy, when you're trained, when you're trained in how to use the sword, how to use the word of God against the enemy, then all of a sudden it's like one of those sword fights where the momentum shifts in your life. And you start going after the enemy, not just in your life, because the enemy's afraid to deal with you anymore. But now you start helping others. See, that's ultimately where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be in in fervent prayer for someone else. Not just ourselves. We're supposed to engage in this warfare for other people. To literally help them get to the same place we are in understanding this battle. In understanding that we have authority to fight in this battle. Right? So then it comes to this last one. And to me, this last one is the key. Because you can have... That's just such a cool picture. You can have all those tools. You can have every bit of knowledge. Even how to apply it. But if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working through you, then you have nothing. See, it's his fight. We're just the vessels. We have to let the Holy Spirit literally fill us. I love that, this picture because Holy Spirit is pictured as fire. And we, when he fills us, he fills us with this fire that just burns the enemy. Enemy can't handle it. When we let the Holy Spirit work through us, it doesn't matter where we're at in life. It doesn't matter if we're rich, poor, old, young. doesn't matter. Those things don't matter. When we let the Holy Spirit fill our lives, we become a warrior in the battle zone that God has placed us. And we literally walk in His power. That's extraordinary to me. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And we're just going to read the last couple verses, uh, starting at 18. Uh, we're gonna, we had just gone through, you know, and take the helmet of salvation and sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But then verse 18 says this, Praying at all times in the Spirit... With all prayer and supplication, which we talked about that last week. That's the literal application to this warfare, is praying at all times. Paul said, I pray all the time. I never cease praying. You know, it's when you have a relationship with somebody that is always with you, you continue conversation. It doesn't mean like if if somebody's with me, it doesn't mean like I have to call them to talk to them, right? If, if we both have cell phones, uh, here, here, Anissa, I'm going to just call you right now so I can talk. No, she's right here. I just talked to her. I mean, not right now, of course. Right? We just talk. We just talk to Jesus. You just have this relationship to talk to him. So, so when we pray to him, it's, it's never ceasing, 
with all prayer and supplication. And, and part B of, of verse 18 says this. To that end, keep alert. When you go into this battlefield, keep alert with all perseverance. Make sure with everything you have, you are watching what's going on. You're listening to the Lord to guide you in what you're doing, but you're watching for the enemy. Because he's going to be there. He's going to show up in ways that you don't expect. But when you are out there with keeping alert with all perseverance, you then make supplication for all the saints. It's not about you. When you are full of this training and you are brought into a place where you are effective for Jesus Christ, it's important to understand it's not about you. It's about the part you play for the bride. And, and i got to tell you, we oftentimes, I think this is one of the greatest downfalls, if you will, for the bride of Christ. We are just a group of people where most people think about themselves and think that's how it's supposed to be. I just need to walk how the Lord wants me to walk, and I'll just pay attention to what he wants me to do. And we really don't understand the bigger picture. We don't understand that our engagement is to help other people. Your engagement here, your engagement on Tuesday nights, your engagement on the phone call is not just to receive yourself. It is to be a part of something that is offensive against the enemy. We have a part to play in that. See, when we show up on a Sunday morning, it's not just about what we're here to receive. Do you understand what was declared during worship that we were all a part of? See, there was power in that. There was a declaration before the throne that was literally wielding a sword that the enemy could not fight back from. When we don't, if, if we all thought just of ourselves, that would never come together. See, you have a part to play, and I'm not saying you don't come to church to learn. Of course we come to learn. We come to hear from God and, and receive what he has for us. But that's only part of it. That's only part of it. The other part is you play a part in the grander scheme of things. You play a part even right here. Do you understand that there's power in the atmosphere when the children of a God come together? It says where two or three are together, I'm there in their midst. See, but understand even more so as we gather together and worship him and give our yes to him. There's power in that. I can tell you the power that has come out of that 830 call. It, it's blown my mind. You know, we've been doing it now for, I think we're close to 80 days, something like that. And what we have seen, literally, we, we'd be praying about something, and then the next day or a couple days, we'd see it answered. You know, a friend of mine, Maria, from Mexico, she's a missionary down in Mexico. Her niece was abducted in Mexico City by traffickers. That's a big problem down there. And, and they're, if they're abducted by traffickers, you never see them again. If they're abducted for ransom, okay, then you hear for a ransom. Okay, they didn't hear for any ransom. This child was abducted. And we be, she told us about it. We began praying immediately. We began praying immediately for this, this little 15-year-old girl, for her safety, for her return, and everything else. And it, it, was, it was like eight or nine days later, she was returned. She was found. And it wasn't, it wasn't that she had, oh, well, they found out she really just kind of ran away or whatever. No, she was abducted. Because the team that found her was a team that specializes in going after these, these groups of people that abduct these children. And they found her. I mean, that, that's extraordinary. 
And that's rare. And do you understand that, that I'm not saying it was just our prayers, but our prayers had something to do with it. Because we went on that phone call every night, and it wasn't just one or two people doing it. But we often have 20, 25 people on the phone call, and we're coming together in unity together, even though there may be only a couple of people that pray. We're coming in unity together to say, yes, I am with this prayer. I give my yes to you, Lord. I am in unity and agreement with this prayer. So with this group of people praying, and God hears those prayers, he sees our heart. He understands what we're doing in this warfare, and he answers it. And I'm seeing more and more. I, I never understood. I always knew the power of prayer, and, and you know that's almost a cliche. Well, yeah, prayer is powerful, and, and, and it is. But after almost 44 years of salvation, the last 80 days have taught me the real power of prayer and the power of unity in prayer. What would it be like if a group of people like us right here would engage in that all the time, would literally make supplication for the saints. First of all, being prepared as warriors, trained as warriors, know how to use the sword, have that shield of faith and in power, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we act on behalf of our brothers and sisters. What do you think would happen? Man, it'll change the world. I'm telling you, it wouldn't just change right here. It wouldn't just change Newark. It wouldn't just change the East Coast. It wouldn't just change America. It would change the world. See, because that's what happened with 12. That's what happened with 12 people that Jesus poured into. It changed the world. Do you believe that can happen again? Yeah. Not only can it happen again, but it's going to happen again. Jesus promised so in John 14. So why don't we think we can be a part of that? Oftentimes it's because we're just not willing. When it comes right down to it, we're just not willing to put in what is required time-wise to put in. Do you know when somebody joins the, the military, specifically the, the uh, Navy, you know, and they might say, I want to be a Navy SEAL. Okay, that's a whole different ballgame. Right? You join the Navy, you go through boot camp, and that's all tough and everything else. And they prepare you as a basic warrior, an effective warrior. But then you choose to become a Navy SEAL. They say, okay, we've got to start over. We've got to start over, and we've got to literally break down what's here so we could build afresh. And then they're built into the most elite fighting machine, if you will, in all of history. And I mean all of history. There is nothing more potent and more effective than our special forces. And it's literally because of the training that they go through. The life and death training, if you know anything about it. I have several friends that, that were Navy SEALs, that have spent time on the battlefield, even after going through the training. And they've told me stories of training. One of the friends of mine, he lost two friends in training. So these are people that are highly, highly trained. But yet, they are the most effective weapon on the battlefield. Why do we think it's any different with Jesus Christ? See, we think in terms of, well, he'll just do everything. He, he, he already said it's finished. He came and he won and death's defeated and, and everything else. See, but death is not defeated for the person who has not accepted him. Death is very real to the person who does not accept him. 
what was finished. Death was defeated. He gave us an opportunity for salvation. Gave us an opportunity to know him and to become literally part of his family. But it's our choice. So if we don't go to war for those people that don't know that, that don't know any better, then who will? But I tell you that if we band together and we go through this training, which we have been here at Ignition, for over two years now we've been in this intense training, preparation of being placed in the battlefield in places that a normal soldier would not be able to make it. Why? Because we're special? No. We're not any more special than anybody else. The difference is we just said yes. The difference is we said, Lord, we're willing. We're willing to do whatever you want. Lord, give us shoes of peace and you guide our steps. So he began taking our yes and raising up and training this group of people that is going to be able to be placed in situations that can be most effective for the bride. Again, praying and making supplication for the saints. So you have to think beyond yourself. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 says this. We're going to read 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, meaning this body, this life, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Verse 18 is what I want to focus on. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are, un, that are seen are transient. In other words, they come and go. But the things that are unseen are eternal. See, what God's doing in our lives individually, what he is doing in our lives as a local body, we may not be able to fully see it. We may see signs of it and everything else, and we, you can see when someone loves the Lord. Why? Because the Lord kind of permeates through their pores. But we don't really see what he's doing in the grand scale. We don't see what he's doing in Nigeria. We're going to be, a group of us will be in Nigeria in three weeks. We don't see what he's doing in Nigeria. We don't see how we play a part in a greater battle. If you really believe, John 14 says that there will be this, this last day revival, and literally it will be like the church of Acts times 10. If you believe that, then you have to understand that he begins to mold toward that. He starts to build warriors that can go into supplication for the saints, warring for the saints, bringing and unifying the body of Christ for that to even happen. That's what's going on right now. That's what's been going on in us for two and a half years. We may not be able to see that yet, but you've got to look beyond what's in front of your face. You've got to look beyond and see what the Lord is doing. See what he's doing. It, it, anybody who looks at the government without spiritual eyes is going to just get confused. Because you look at the government right now and you think, there's just so much chaos. You know, you, you look at this and it's going this way. You look at this going this way. But yet in seeing through spiritual eyes, you see that God is rooting up that which needs to be scraped off. When you purify gold, when you first find gold, it has all these impurities in it. You have to melt it down and all the impurities go to the top. And then they take this, this basically this knife and they just scrape it off. They scrape off the junk. See, that's, what's, that's what God's doing to us right now. To prepare us for battle. 
to prepare us for when we walk into those places where we we take supplication for the for the bride, for those that we're praying for. Right now on the call, we, we pray for different things. You know, we continuously pray for, for Carson, for Minetta. We pray for Angela. We pray for these people. That we go into supplication and prayer for these people. That's what happened with, with Anna, this 15-year-old girl that was abducted. We went to war for her. We go to war for each other. We go to war for people we don't know. I don't know Anna. But I know Maria. And she asked us to pray. There are people that we pray for that we don't know. We pray for our government. We don't know them. But we pray for them. Because we want God's will. I want that revival. I want to experience that revival. I want to be part of that revival. I want to see Revelation 3.9 come to fruition. Where the bride is honored in the world. Where the world literally bows down to the bride in honor. Seeing that the father has favor on the bride. Do you believe that's going to happen? See, whether you believe it or not, doesn't matter to God because it is going to happen. His word is what's truth. But it does matter to you because we can choose to be part of this and we can choose to not be part of it. It's like those, those people that go out to be a seal. All through that training that's so hard, it's still their choice. It's still their choice to quit. And you have the vast majority that try to become a SEAL end up quitting. Because it's, the, it's just so hard. Well, in Heaven's Army, God never promised it to be easy. Anybody who ever told you the Christian life is an easy life, I can probably assure you they're not living in Christian life. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't give us times of peace, because he does. He promises that you could, you could have peace in times of war. Because the peace is the peace that passes, passes all understanding. It doesn't make sense. You could be literally in the middle of a battlefield, bullets flying every which way, surrounded by your enemies and completely in peace. Elijah did. When he was in the, the city and, and they were surrounded by, by the armies that, that knew his prophecy was giving them away. You know, it was giving up all their information. So they surround this city <clears throat> and Elijah's scribe is freaking out. Look what's around us. We're, we're surrounded. We're going to die. He said, no, Lord, open his eyes. And then the Lord opened the scribe's eyes and he saw what was between them. That they were surrounded. See, the scribe was able to look beyond the current reality. He was able to see the real warfare. And because of that, even in the midst of what they were surrounded by, he had peace. He was given peace. Do you have peace? You can. The Bible promises it. That's, that's one of the things we went over in the armor of God. But more than that, if you're called to be a warrior, which, by the way, you are, if you're called to be a warrior, you better have that peace. That's a piece of the armor you better have, because otherwise you'll be out in the middle of the battle one day, bullets flying everywhere, and then you're going to wonder, oh man, I think I made a mistake. That... Lord, did I, did I get here and I, I, I wasn't supposed to? Maybe, maybe I did this in my own strength and, and whatever. See, if you have the shoes of peace and you let the shoes of peace guide you, then you will only be there because the Lord wants you to be. And when you're there, he gives you a peace to know you're protected. And more than that, you're a thorn in the enemy's side. You're strategically placed at a point in a battle where you have effect that nobody else can have. I'm going to close with this, this story. I just think this is a cool story. 
I, I can't even remember how old I was. Um, I want to say I was fifth grade or something like that. Fifth or sixth grade. When, when did I go to Hume Lake? Seventh grade. That's exactly what I meant. I was seventh grade. And, and <clears throat> Hume Lake was, was this camp, and I think it was Hume Lake. I can't remember, but... Um, but we were playing this game. I had never played it before, and, and when I tell it to you, everybody knows what it is. It's capture the flag, right? Okay, you know what capture the flag is. And we were on this huge field in this forest area and whatever, but, but it was almost like a big soccer field, okay? And, but there were no out-of-bounds, but everybody's on this soccer field, and there's maybe 50 kids on either side. And there's one flag on either side. And, and you had, just like flag football, you had these flags on, on, that are hanging off your belt. I remember thinking, you know, I'm not that fast. I guess I'm okay. But, you know, to run against 50 kids, there's not a whole lot that I can do. And I'm watching them. And, you know, they say go. And everybody's just kind of grabbing each other's flag. And when you get somebody's flag, then they're a prisoner. And they go back until they're rescued and blah, 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 blah. Right? So I'm sitting here looking at this, and I'm thinking, okay, well, there's bushes right there. What if I just go up there, and I crawl all the way? And it was about 100 yards. And I crawl all the way over. Nobody will see me. And so I go, and I start doing this. And I'm crawling literally on, my, on, the, on the ground all the way across. And, and the, these, these other guys pass me or something. And I, I, I just had to be so still, and they missed me. And, and I get all the way behind, and I thought, okay, I need to go past where they'll see me. So I went about 30 yards past where their flag was, and I literally come up behind. I grab the flag because nobody's watching. Everybody's watching everybody come at them. I go up, and I grab the flag, and I put the flag in my pocket, and I just start walking. And I literally walked the whole way. <laughs> and then here we won. <laughs> Okay, see, I was placed, now look at that spiritually. I was placed in a place of the battlefield where I could be effective even though perhaps I was by myself. You will be placed in the battlefield at times where you're going to feel alone. You're going to feel like you have no support. But see, I had the support of the surroundings that God put me in. I had the support of the bushes. Luckily, no snakes. Didn't see a single snake. Okay, that was maybe God, because this is California, you know. But God will place around you the protections that you need, but see, he has a, a reason for you to be there. Don't buck what he tries to do in your life if you know it's him. Don't buck where he puts you in the warfare because there's a specific job that you have to perform. Because, see, you've already been through the training. You've been placed in a place where only you can do the job. You know, the Navy SEALs don't go out in these great numbers. They go out in teams, small teams. The Lord, shown me we're going to do the same thing. In the spiritual realm, he is developing teams. But you know, a sniper is even less. A sniper goes out, often by themselves, sometimes with a spotter. They have a very specific role that's a critical role. You have a critical role. If you're being trained up, you have to understand what your calling is. And, and I'm not talking about career. I'm not talking about the superficial things that we do in life. I'm talking about what's your role in the army of God. You have a role. Every one of us has a role. And you are the most effective person that can be for that role because God's made you for it. So we have to first understand and be trained and understand what that role is, but then understand he's going to put you in places, in situations that you just have to trust him. Engage that shield of faith to know, Lord, you brought me here. I trust you. 
I may not see what you are going to bring to fruition because of your promises. You know, he's promised us a building. We don't see that yet. We're certainly not in it yet. Does that mean we leave that battlefield? No. We engage that faith to know that you said it, I believe it. I will follow it. I will hold my post because this is where you've placed me and this is my most effective place in the battle where I could be most effective against the enemy. But not only that, I am the most protected. It's when we go out of God's calling in our lives that we begin to lose the protection. See, if I had come off that hill out of the bushes and started running down the side, I would have come out of my protection. It's no different with God. If we come out of the place and out of the path that he has for us, we literally come out of what he has provided for us for protection. And then we miss the calling. There's nothing more sad in a Christian's life to have missed their calling. Because there's joy there. There's love. There's peace. There's power. There's that picture right there. There's a filling of the Holy Spirit. We want to be where he wants us to be. And we want to stick in that battle no matter what. Let's pray.